book of First Corinthians, First Corinthians, and we will go back to our study of the book of Second Chronicles, Lord willing, next Sunday morning, and in the evenings we will be finishing uh, the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, but this morning, um, the elders have asked me to uh, preach. Uh, the gospel from this text of Holy Scripture, and I pray that God will come by His Spirit and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying, not only to this church, but to God's people uh, throughout the ages. Hear now the word of the living God. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure 
not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design. Thus ends the reading of God's very word. Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Father, we come as your little children now, begging that you would come, Lord Jesus, and walk in our midst, Lord, to encourage us, uh, Lord, to strengthen us, uh, to cling to you, and Lord, to make right uh, what is crooked, a uh, Lord to cause us all, Lord, to be repenting, turning from any and everything that is not pleasing to you, and running to you, Lord Jesus, and embracing you with simple, childlike faith. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the only Savior. And we beg, Lord, that you would preach your gospel to our hearts this day. And you would lead us and protect us and bless us with your presence. In Christ we pray. Amen. Well, I want you uh, to notice... In this passage uh, here that the Apostle Paul is giving instructions about how to deal with sin. And the Apostle Paul is not giving suggestions. He is saying, in the name of the Lord Jesus. You'll notice not only is, is this uh, uh, phrase uh, used, and we'll talk about the significance of that, but I want you to notice uh, uh, also in verse 4, with the power of our Lord Jesus. Uh, in other words, this was not something uh, that was to be done uh, uh, with an eye toward the opinions of men or the ideas of men, uh, but this was at the instruction and direction of the king and head of the church. That is the first thing that we must 
see, and understand. Christ alone has the right to tell me and you what is right and wrong and the gospel. And he has done so in Holy Scripture. Christ alone as the king and head of the church instructs his people how to live, how to deal with heartache and controversies in our own lives and in the body of Christ. We have before us in these two texts today a passage of Scripture that focuses on something that in our day and time is grossly misunderstood, is neglected by the vast majority of so-called churches in this country. Our forefathers and I believe rightly so, viewed loving biblical church discipline as one of the marks of a real church. Without the apostolic preaching of the gospel, that was the first mark. They said, you may have a sign out front that says church, but if you don't preach the gospel of Holy Scripture telling people to repent and believe in the Jesus of the Bible. You are not a true church. You are a synagogue of Satan. Secondly, they said the rightful practice of biblical church discipline. Without that mark, they said you may claim to be a church of the Lord Jesus, but you really aren't in reality a church that has the right to call itself a part of the body of Christ. And the last of their marks was the biblical administration of the ordinances of the gospel, baptism and the Lord's Supper, that again are proclamations of the gospel. And so today we are going to look at this passage that describes for us an example of this practice of loving biblical church discipline. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this particular instance that required loving biblical church discipline was sexual immorality. But you'll notice down in the passage that there are all kinds of categories of sin that also fall in that category of things that are not right in God's sight that must be addressed. This particular situation we see in verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. 
the Greek term here describing a, 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 a man has his father's wife, it was his stepmother. Uh, here was this shocking uh, a sin that was taking place in the church of Corinth where one of the members of that congregation was sleeping openly with his stepmother. And the Apostle Paul had heard of this. He was not present. But when he hears of this, one of the things that God the Holy Spirit put in his letter was that this must be addressed. Notice that the normal pattern of dealing with sin was not followed. Normally, when you hear of a sin, Matthew chapter 18 says, you go to that person in private. And if they repent, you've won your brother. If they don't repent, you take somebody else with you as a witness to go with you, pleading with them to repent. And if they still don't repent, then you go to the church, to the elders of the church, and ask them to address this sin. And if they repent, praise God. But if they don't repent, then church discipline is meted out. But this particular circumstance was so shocking that the Apostle Paul said, you need to act immediately. Uh, normally these steps you would follow, but this is of such a pressing nature. It must be dealt with immediately. And so, what was to be done in verse 2. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? And that's where we are in this culture. You have a multitude of so-called churches throughout this land that have all manner of wickedness taking place in their congregations. And what do people do? What does the church do? They say, well, I probably wouldn't do that, but, you know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, you can do your thing. I, I'll do mine. And, and we shouldn't judge other people. Um, didn't Jesus say, judge not? Uh, we need to be tolerant. And so nothing is done. The Apostle Paul here, writing God's holy, infallible, inerrant word said, and you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Ought you not, as individuals and as a congregation, Mourn over the breaking of God's holy, revealed will. And then he says, here's what must be done. 
Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now, what he is describing here is being disciplined by the church that this sanction, this, this punishment it is the highest degree that Jesus meets out through his church. The civil government has the sword of temporal justice. That is not the church's job. But they also are to be ministers of God, helping people see uh, that evil cannot be tolerated, uh, that there are consequences, and uh, to protect society. The church has the duty and responsibility of wielding the spiritual, powerful weapons that God has entrusted to her. Now, turn with me in Matthew chapter 16, and we want to identify that these tools that God has given to the church are first and foremost the proclamation of the gospel of Holy Scripture. And in that sense, every time we read the Bible, every time we hear the Word of God read and explained, Jesus is disciplining me. He is disciplining you. Uh, uh, the D word, uh, discipline, is something that in our culture people automatically equate with what? Bad. That's not good. But Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that every son, every daughter that the Lord loves, he what? He disciplines. And you can read that in Hebrews chapter 12. Quoting from Proverbs chapter 3. And the most basic level of God disciplining me and you is his word. Jesus is loving us. He's taking us by the hand. And he's leading us in his paths. He's telling us the gospel. And he's applying his revealed will to our hearts and our lives and our thinking. And if we listen to Jesus, that discipline produces great blessings of us being drawn even closer to Jesus and us having joy and gladness. And we see here in Matthew chapter 16, God reveals to us that he had asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they had come up with just all of the uh, popular opinions of the day. But he says, well, who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. 
And it's not the man Peter, like the Roman Catholic so-called church has taken and perverted that whole line. You see just a few verses later that the man Peter is so mixed up, what does he do? When Jesus says, now guys, I'm going to Jerusalem and I want you to know up front, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be mistreated, and I'm going to be put to death by the chief priests and the rulers, but the third day I'll be raised from the dead. And when Peter hears this, what does he do? He rebukes Jesus. He says, God forbid that anything like that ever happened to you. And what does Jesus tell the man, Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. And so when Jesus says, on this rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. He's not talking about the man, Peter. He's talking about the apostolic confession of who Jesus is. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the word of God that the Holy Spirit would lead these apostles to finish writing the New Testament. And so Jesus says, I will build, you are Peter, and on this rock, on that apostolic gospel, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now notice verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. These keys of the kingdom are entrusted to the church. And the church's job is to proclaim the gospel. And whenever people hear the word of God and they embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, they are being joined to Christ himself. Not by the work of the church, but by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they turn away from Jesus... The church is to exercise the key of not only acknowledging, yes, you are a one who confesses Christ, but no, you have denied the Lord Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. And here we have a passage that describes this same powerful uh, keys of the kingdom, this binding and loosing. And of course, if it's not done by men in accordance with the word of God, if it's not done by men rightly at the direction of King Jesus, then it has no effect. It doesn't bind or loose anybody from their standing with Almighty God. But if the church... If the elders of the church do apply the word of God rightly, then whenever they act, King Jesus himself is acting through them. King Jesus himself is declaring, as we're going to see, whatever is bound on earth is bound where? In heaven. And whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. 
Look with me at this passage, Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Now, we're familiar with this wherever two or three are gathered. You know, we have busy lives and a lot of times uh, we can't gather midweek for the prayer meeting. And so literally, there are times when there'll be just two or three of us that we're able to come together to pray. And I think about this verse, and, and it has application to that, but that is not what the first and primary meaning of this text is. I want you to see. It's talking about Jesus being the king and head of the church, binding and loosing. And it is through the under-shepherds of the church who are just his message boys. And whenever the session meets, have you ever wondered why we call the meeting of the elders the session? S-E-S-S-I-O-N. I think that's how you spell it. I don't have spell check pulled up. I've gotten way too dependent. The session. Why? Why do we call it the session when the elders meet? This passage tells us why. That whenever the session, whenever the elders meet, court is in session. The king is seated on his throne. And decisions are being made. In heaven. And if on earth those decisions are in accordance with the revealed will of God, the king is making decisions, declarations, judgments. Again, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound where? In heaven. Now it's got to be done in accordance with the word of God. If it's done in heaven, it has to be done the right way. But this side of heaven, it'll never be done perfectly. And Jesus knew that. When he assigned the care of his precious lambs that he bought with his own blood to weak, fallible men 
Whatever is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, that's not just talking about us agreeing to pray for something together. This is, again, the context is the court of the church meeting to deal with controversies. And bring the word of God to bear and the gospel, the good news of Jesus to bear. If you ask anything, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered into my name, there am I among them. And so whenever we talk about the session is going to meet, I pray that you will never think of it the same way again that you'll think oh lord please help those 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 poor men to be faithful to your word to care for your lambs in the way you say in holy scripture because we're going to give an account we're going to give an account for the souls of god's precious lambs that he purchased with his own blood well, turn back with me now to 1 Corinthians. So, the church was instructed instead of being tolerant, you need to humble yourself before Almighty God and mourn and render this judgment that you can't live this way and claim to be a Christian. And if that had been practiced in this country, I'm going to be so bold as to say we would not be in the mess we are in today. If the church of the Lord Jesus Christ for the last 150 years in this country had practiced preaching the whole counsel of God in the face of Jesus and these marks of the church we would not be in the mess we are in. We are in the mess we are in because the church is a mess. And here are now three goals. Jesus spells out for us why, why do we need to view discipline as an expression of God's love if it's done the right way. And Jesus reveals to us in this passage three goals, three purposes. And the first one is in verses 3 through 5. The purpose, first of all, is to reclaim the straying sheep. Jesus loves his sheep. He's the good shepherd. He will not. Let his sheep just wander off and perish. He runs after his sheep. And here's what it looks like in this case where there was this horrifying sin that had taken place. Jesus says, you must go after this sheep and tell the sheep and show the sheep you can't claim to be a child of God and live this way. If you don't repent and turn from this, 
you will perish. Your sin will have horrifying consequences. Stop. You know, I, I hate when I get distracted driving and veer off the road a little bit. And, you know, they have put these little grooves on the side of the road. And there may be people who enjoy driving on those, but I do not. And God has put in the life of his church these little bumps in the road for the purpose of a person who begins to veer off and they start hitting that to correct course. And I want you to look at verses 3 and following. Though, for though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that why would the church ever practice biblical church discipline and why have I referred to it as loving biblical church discipline? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. You can't claim to be a child of God and give yourself to sin and continue in that sin. If you do, where will you end up? And the only cure is for the good shepherd to bring you back to repent and believe in him. And so that's the first goal. Now, I want you to picture in your mind's eye a fence, okay? And, and we see this spiritual fence being talked about in the book of Job, chapter 1. Satan came to God and he complained that God had put a fence of protection around God's servant Job. And, and Satan said, you know, no wonder Job loves you because you put that fence, the hedge of thorns. And in the old days when shepherds had sheep, they would go out and cut thorn bushes. And most of the time, the thorn bushes that they would use had thorns on them that were about an inch and a half to two inches long. Now, that's what you call a thorn. And they would make a wall out of these thorn branches that would be cut off from these shrubs and make it in the form of a corral. And there would be one opening, and these this this wall of thorns would be on every other side and the shepherd then would lead the sheep at night into that corral and the shepherd himself would lay down over the opening to protect and defend 
his sheep. Well, you can, you can picture now. Here, here's here's this, this hedge of thorns. And one of the aspects, it, it's a spiritual thing. You can't see it with these eyes. A lot of times people think, well, what difference does it make to be a professing part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, one of the blessings is God puts us in his corral. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a special watch and care for you. And Satan, he can't just do anything he wants to. Now, even when you're outside the fold, Satan can't do whatever he wants to, but he can get pretty rough. And we're going to talk about what happens. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And so church discipline, when it is done in accordance with the will of King Jesus, that person no longer can claim to be a child of God. And you can picture in your mind, they're put outside of this hedge. And who else is outside? Well, there's a ferocious beast outside who is hungry and wants to devour the lambs. And so the Lord turns this ferocious beast loose to do what? Start nipping. And this sheep goes, wait a minute. I, I'm on the wrong path. I need to run back to the good shepherd quickly or I will perish. That's the picture that is painted here. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, there are other passages we could look at. We don't have time this morning, but that's the first goal. The second stated goal, the first goal to reclaim the straying sheep. He's going to run back to the good shepherd and say, no, 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 I really do love you. I'm making a break with the way I've been living. I'm turning my back on the world. I don't want to live against you anymore. Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me. Save me. Hang on to me. Change me for your glory. That's the first goal. The second goal, your boasting is not good, verse 6 and following. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. God says the second goal is to keep the rest of the flock from thinking. Sin's not that bad. You know, look, look at Henry. He's doing whatever. And a lightning bolt didn't come down from heaven. 
and fry him. And I'm not doing anything near as bad as he did. I'm, I'm good. Leaven. What does leaven do when you make bread? It just works and permeates through the whole thing. And God says this spiritual gangrene has to be dealt with. If it is left to itself, what does sin do? It's like cancer. What will it do? It just eats and eats and eats and grows and spreads and destroys. And so God says that when loving biblical church discipline takes place, it's a wake-up call for all of us as God's people. That apart from the grace of God, I am capable of any and every sin you can imagine. If Jesus does not keep me, I will stumble and fall. And so whenever we see biblical church discipline done according to the word of God, God is calling me. He's calling you to hate your own sin afresh, to understand how serious Jesus is and how beautiful Jesus is and run to him afresh and cling to him and say, Lord Jesus, save me, keep me, don't let me sin against you. Don't let my heart grow cold. Don't let me grow uh, full of, of, of arrogance. Apart from your grace, Lord Jesus, I have no hope. Save me. And then we see the third goal here in verses 9 and following. It is to guard the honor of God's name before a watching world. The world is looking, and the world wants to find an excuse. Have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone and invite them to church, and immediately their deflector shields go up, and you, you get this, <laughs> no, thank you. I'm better than a lot of people I know that go to church. Have you ever heard that? And sadly, sadly, there's a lot of truth. Well, the Lord says, we bear his name and the world is watching. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone. What he means by associate is that you come to the Lord's table together with them. And when you have a fellowship lunch you sit at table with them and you put your arm around them and and you say we're buds we're brother and sister we're in, we're in we're in the family no the pain 
And the Apostle Paul talks about the pain here in a minute of saying, no, I, I want to, but I can no longer regard you as a brother or a sister in Christ until you repent and run back to Jesus. And then, oh, I pray and I long and I look forward to the day when we can have close association in Jesus once again. The world is watching. And if the world thinks that we're no different from them, what does that say about Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what it says. The world, when the world looks at us and we're no different than they are, the world says, well, your Jesus, he ain't much. Your Jesus, he's not worth much. As a matter of fact, your Jesus isn't worth a pile of spit. I'm just like you are. And God says, no, no, no. We bear the name of Jesus. And he is worthy to be praised and honored and adored. And so he says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, I can't resist. We've got to talk just a moment about this matter about judging. You know, you can do almost anything in this day and time, but if you judge somebody, that is the cardinal sin for which there is no forgiveness in this culture, is being judgmental. All right, let's look. Matthew chapter 7, quickly. Judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged what jesus is warning is that we understand that the standard of righteousness that is god himself revealed in holy scripture must be applied across the board and that we ought to apply it first where Right here. That's what he's saying. And he says, be careful how you judge. Now, we must judge. You make judgments all the time. We have to. Should I eat this? Ooh, I believe it. I believe it. I don't want to eat that. You have made a judgment. And you do the same thing with actions. And associations. Is that something I ought to participate in? Is that language something I ought to laugh at? Ought I to pretend that I'm, I'm good with that dirty joke? Am I? God calls upon us to be those who make judgments according to the Word of God. And to begin with those judgments being applied First and foremost to ourselves. Keep reading. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. If I walked up to you and said, and here I am, I've got a log sticking out of my eye, you know, a piece of hickory, okay? There it is, got the shag bark on it, everything is sticking out of my eye. And I walk up to you with this log sticking out of my eye, and I say, oh, here, wait, stop. Open your eye now. Let me get the speck of sawdust out of your eye. You'd, you'd go, hey, buddy. You can't help me. You can't see clearly to get the speck out of my eye. You've got a log in your eye. And that's what Jesus says about judging. He says we need to be careful and we need to be humble and we need to apply the standard of God first to our own hearts and get the log out of our own eye and then we can see to get the speck out of our brother's eye. So, back to 1 Corinthians 5. Jesus says, be careful. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Don't, don't let this idea that I'm okay, you're okay. You can come up with your own standard of right and wrong, whatever, whatever you want, it's fine with me, I'm good. You know? No. God Almighty made us. He has the right to tell us what's right and wrong. Well, that had taken place in Corinth. It was painful. Now turn with me to chapter 2. And quickly, I want you to see how God blessed. When biblical discipline is done and God blesses it. And sadly, sometimes when people are disciplined, they continue turning away from the Lord Jesus and perish. But sometimes God graciously uses that discipline to awaken them and draw them back into himself. And that was the case with this man. And Satan loves to lie. And first of all, Satan lied to the church. Sin isn't a big deal. And that was a lie. And Jesus says, oh yeah, it is. Sin will take people to hell and give them a taste of it in this life. Flee to Jesus. But then Satan came with another lie. And the second lie of Satan was, sin is too bad. And if you have sinned in a sin like these sins that are talked about here, forget you, there's no hope for you. And this person, those speed bumps had awakened this man and he had run back to Jesus and he had changed his life by the grace of God and bore the fruit of repentance true repentance and had said no I do love Jesus and I want to follow him and live for him and now the apostle Paul has to write the church and say look 
the purpose has been met. And you need to receive him back in the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, discipline is not fun. He has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. This is after he had repented, after he had demonstrated over a period of time, I'm not the man I was. I, I do love Jesus. Then the Apostle Paul writes and says, Now look, receive him back. Forgive him. Treat him once again as a a believer, as a brother in Christ. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. And Jesus is asking us, are you going to be obedient or are you going to go with the world? You going to go with the flow? Because I'm telling you, a church that practices loving biblical church discipline is viewed as way past Mars, way past Pluto. I mean, we're not even in this solar system. We're from some way distant galaxy. That's how foreign this concept is to this culture. But it's what the Word of God teaches. And we must bow before the Lord Jesus. We must love Him. We must follow Him. And trust that He will bless. Trust that He knows what He is doing. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. And oh, we are so sophisticated. And we are so wise in this culture. And what's going on is we are being outwitted. By the evil one. But by God's grace, that will not be true for you and your family and this congregation. Praise God that we have a good shepherd who loves his lambs and will care for his sheep. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would write upon our hearts your word. And that, Father, we would put these things uh, into practice. Lord, that, that you would bless us to do what we have vowed to do in our membership vows. That are what the Bible teaches. Lord Jesus, we with joy give ourselves anew to you. Bless now as we sing and as we conclude our worship this day. In Jesus we pray. Amen.